Hello, Mustcasters. Yeah, welcome back to another episode of the Mr. Burgess Maths Podcast. Uh, nice to have you along. Um, it's Thursday when I'm recording this. Uh, another Thursday down in lockdown. Uh, another day, another rainy day again. So I uh, still haven't been outside yet today. Um, the weird thing is, yeah, I think I've only actually seen in person a delivery driver. Um, so, yeah, doing well. I uh, had, had some Zoom calls today and uh, been chatting to people on the phone. So don't panic too much. I'm not going that crazy yet. Um, might do by the end of tomorrow, but if it carries on raining. But uh, all going well so far. Hope everything's going well with you guys. Um, wherever you are, uh, whether when you're in lockdown, uh, just hope things are going really well. Um, yeah, it's just a weird old time. I keep on saying that. Someone phoned me today. And I haven't chatted to them in a while. And um, one of my friends. And uh, it was just sort of like, yes, yeah, so uh, lockdown. Uh, it's weird. Yep, yep. Uh, what else do you say? You can't, you can't say anything else, can you? Like, It's just one of those times in history that we're going to look back on uh, with uh, much hilarity of just how rubbish it was. But um, hey-ho, we're all getting through it. Uh, suddenly, it's the end of April. So we've been in lockdown for the whole of April, um, but we've made we've made it through a whole month of doing this. So we we must be doing something right. So hopefully you're getting into some sort of routines now. I'm starting to feel like I'm getting into some kind of better routines. So uh, getting up in the morning much better. Um, I haven't been doing my Joe Wicks. I'm going to be honest. This week I've kind of uh, scrapped that one for the time being. At the moment, I pulled a couple of muscles, and uh, yeah, it's been therefore been quite hard work to try and motivate myself to get on to doing that but uh i have been out for walks i have been out for my runs and stuff but yeah the snacks as well are calling i i suddenly realized i've been through a pack of oreos in two days um which is very restrained for me because normally it'd be a pack in a per day but uh, i need to get on and bake again uh this weekend so that i can actually have some nice cake rather than just absolute junk um and there's, there's no excuse for it to be honest there's literally no excuse for not baking for not doing anything i'm just feeling a bit yeah ugh. um so hopefully though you, I, I, if you've been taught by me you should have some nice things to do tomorrow so i set for, uh, quite a few challenges for lessons tomorrow um or this week as well i'm trying to think a bit bit more creatively i don't know about you at the moment I'm trying to be a bit more creative in my thinking and trying to think outside the box a little bit um so well done to some of my uh year 10s who um set a challenge at the moment to be a bit creative with the circle theorems. So uh, well done to Louis, who went out and um, has been the first entry in my little uh, competition of uh, being creative with your circle theorems and has managed to go out and do the circle theorems on his daily exercise, obviously only in an hour, oh, right, Louis, um, um, and has done the circle theorems on Strava, which is amazing. It cheered me up no end this morning when I saw that this morning. So uh, well done to you. Um, so I thought today we're going to, we've spoke a bit on the pod yesterday and over the last couple of pods about kind of uh, what's gone on in the East and how rubbish it was in Western culture at the time. But there must have been something that was going on in the Dark Ages and in the medieval kind of period going on mathematically. Because let's be honest here, we didn't just go back to ground zero here. We've actually, you know, there's stuff that's got to have to happen in the Middle Ages. Um, and to be honest there wasn't a huge amount so i did a bit of research and uh we found some different people who did some maths during that time and actually advanced some of the maths but also took on some of the ideas that were coming across from the islamic uh culture in terms of um you know, maths that was uh going on so we're going to start off 
looking today at what happened to the Dark Ages. And if you want a bit of history about this, genuinely look up kind of what's going on in the Dark Ages because it's a bit weird that kind of the Roman Empire kind of collapses and we go back to not quite barbarism, but there's tribal warfare. Like if you look at Britain, instead of being one uh, Britannica or whatever it was uh, in Latin, um, we break down into smaller kingdoms. So uh, if you're in the south of England like I am, um, in Hampshire and Surrey, you would have been in Wessex, um, and then there would have been, you know, Mercia and uh, the A- Anglia and all these sort of smaller kingdoms that were not one England, Angles, yeah, Angles. Uh, so the Ang- Anglo-Saxons uh, were around, uh, the Vikings. This sort of time where things aren't quite as stable politically as uh, it had been, um, but also therefore kind of the learning that's going on is not quite the same. So we can look at a couple of different um, mathematicians that were around in that time and uh, bring it through the medieval period to some kind of um, conclusions, I suppose, and kind of where we've started to get to. So last pod, we started to look at uh, where did the number system come from? So where is our symbols for 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 and 0 come from? Um, but today we're going to look at some other symbols as well. So the first mathematician we're going to look at today is not a mathematician. <laughs> Where's he go with this? Uh, here you ask. Yeah, I know. Um, well, because everything we've done so far, uh, when we've been looking through, mathematicians were not mathematicians for mathematicians' sake. That That is actually quite a new phenomenon, really, or relatively new phenomenon. Um, and so a lot of the mathematicians or people who discovered a lot of math kind of did so for whatever reason they needed to. So their application to something was more important. And so the first one we're going to look at is uh, uh, someone who's known more for being history, for being a historian, and that is the Venerable Bede. What a name, the Venerable Bede. Um, so he was around in northern England um, in uh, 672 to 735. Um, oh, that's what... We'll get to. Um, and uh, he decided that it was a big problem. And in the Christian calendar, like Easter is a huge deal. Um, celebrating uh, when Christ died and rose again is a big thing uh, if you're a Christian. And therefore, uh, to know when Easter was is a mighty big thing. And in the Roman Catholic Church at the time, if you didn't celebrate Easter at the right time, then that meant uh, excommunication. So that meant you were put out of the church and uh, therefore uh, damned to hell was kind of the fire and brimstone kind of uh, feeling. And so therefore to know when Easter was and when you had to celebrate Easter was a big deal. Now the problem with Easter is that it's the first uh, full moon after the spring equinox. So the first full moon after uh, the time on the earth uh, where you are is um, both 12 hours either side. So uh, so sunlight for 12 hours, darkness for 12 hours. It's when the uh, sun actually crosses the equator because of the uh, tilt of the earth. Wow, I'm getting going back into my physics days here. Um, and so therefore when the spring equinox happened is really important problem is is that the spring equinox 
doesn't really stay the same in the calendar that they were using at the time. So because they were using the Julian calendar, which didn't have leap days and wasn't the Gregorian calendar that we use today, um, the spring equinox would move slightly. And that created problems because uh, the full moon doesn't also fit to the months either. So it alternates between 29 and 30 days. So because the full moon is changing um, and when the full moons come, and you've got a equinox, which is not a fixed date, then Easter starts to have to move around a bit. And this is we still have this today, that Easter changes date every year. So it's not like Christmas, where it's the 25th of December. Uh, Easter moves. And um, we're all kind of used to that, but it's the Sunday after... Uh, so it has to fall on the first Sunday after the first full moon. So... What did he do? Well, he had to come up with a way of being able to rationalise this to how to work out kind of the date of the equinox and when the full moons would be after that date. Now, the problem is, is that this creates a 19-year calendar uh, cycle of possible dates for Easter. Um, and so he had to cater to a procedure for calculating the date of Easter. And uh, this actually has a name. It's called the computus, um, uh, meaning computation. And that is Bede's word that he used for it. And that's still the same word that's used today for the calculating of when Easter is going to be. It's called the computus. Now, when Bede did this, he then realised that he needed some way of being able to tell which year you were in depends on when Easter's going to fall. Especially if you're starting to look, you know, years in advance, you need some kind of way of being able to date things. So the fact that we're in 2020 now kind of is important. And up to that point, it kind of depended on who your king was or who your monarch was or who your ruler was. And so at the time, it would be the third year of, I don't know, uh, the third year of Athelred or the third year of uh, Alfred. Um or the fifth year of King Alfred's reign. And that's how you'd know what year you were in. But B worked out that that's not a really good one of doing, because you'd have to know when Athelred started his reign. And you'd have to know how, what, how many years it was since he started his reign now to work out when that was in advance and, and what happens when the kings change. Uh, a king dies and then you've got a new king and then it, all the numbering starts again. But then you'd also have to know, oh, it just turned into a bit of a nightmare, especially when you're going back further and further in history. And as, his, as a historian, that was quite important to him. So once he'd completed his uh, computers, he decided he ought to date the whole of history as well. You know, why not? And so he decided at that point that there had to be a way of being able to split kind of a certain date to be able to count from. And uh, he wasn't the only person who did this. So another uh, guy called Dionysus Exegius, uh, who lived in the southeast of um, Europe, it was a monk as well um, in, uh, in the 6th century. Both of them came up with the ideas. And Bede came up with this AD and BC system. So to date it from when Christ had been born uh, uh, to go either way. So enabled uh, years since uh, Christ. So Anni Domini, so the year of our Lord, which we still use as AD, and BC, before Christ. And we've used those two things ever since especially in a kind of highly religious kind of way that and that's kind of where the kind of idea of splitting up time to be so it was not that it was suddenly 
done as Christ was born, but actually it's been done by Bede about six, seven hundred years later. Um, the next mathematician we're going to come to is still up north, but northeast as well. Why, man? I shouldn't really. I really shouldn't do accents. Um, so so uh, uh, we're coming a bit further south from Bede. Um, so uh, we're going to York, to Yorkshire. I can't do accents. Why am I even trying? This is ridiculous. Um, so uh, Aluncian of York, um, and he wrote uh, a first one of the first books that was uh, I problems for people to think about when they were learning. So uh, problems for like kids to learn, um, and. So the idea being to use logic, to which we've heard about before with our Greek mathematicians, to start to be able to understand problems and to be able to problem solve, which is one of the key things that mathematicians do is problem solve. And way back, all the way back here in about you know 800 AD, we have uh, Linton of York producing some logic problems that were probably well known at the time, but were then written down into this book for problems for young people and some of them are still used today so i was reading this book about uh Lincoln of york today and um i was like hang on a minute i recognize that one so if you've ever watched the office um if you haven't watched the office then you really need to because it's one of the funniest programs ever made um and i can quote several kind of lines from it constantly um so, and I'm not going to do it now because that would be really embarrassing, even worse than my uh, accent. Um, but in the office is a uh, seminar run by um, a team building coach. Uh, one of them, he puts up an RHP slide of the chicken, fox, and the grain problem. And you've got three, uh, the three problem th uh, things, uh, and you've got to take him across a river um, in a boat. And you've got a fox, a chicken, and some corn. Problem is, if the farmer moves uh, the chicken, uh, sorry, if the farmer moves the fox, then the chicken will uh, eat the grain. If the farmer uh, leaves on the bank the uh, fox and the chicken, then the fox will eat the chicken. Um, and so, how do you get all the three things across the river without um, anything eating the other one? Um, and you can only take one thing across in the boat at a time. And that problem is actually in Aluncian of York's book. Uh, it's called The Heavy Load Problem. Uh, and it wasn't a chicken, a fox, and some corn. But actually, it was a wolf, a goat, and some uh, cabbage. Um, and it's, it's exactly the same problem. It's the same logic problem that's been done. You think that's that's quite a long time afterwards, and we still kind of use that problem as a starter, and you've seen it in probably lots of different things where we've seen that one before. Um, and he had a second problem as well called the Family Matters Problem. Um, and you've got... Uh, a couple who are of equal weight and you've got two children who are half the weight of their parents um, and you've got to get the uh, whole family across the river you can think about this yourself um, and try and work out the problem um so you've got a mum and a dad and two kids uh you've got uh the mum and dad are both equal weight the children are half the weight of their parents okay so both children add up to one adult and you've got to get um, them across a river in a boat, but the boat will only take the weight of one adult. Um, and there you go. Have a think about that one. See if we can try and work that problem out. Uh, it's, it's there. It's there. Um, and those were two of his kind of famous ones. And that, those 
problems have persisted um, for a long, long time. I never would have thought that those problems were that old. Um, I was, I thought of them quite as being modern problems, really, of like, yeah, team building problems that you have on management speak. Um, so these starters that we always see well and love when you go to a course, uh, yeah, no, they're still around for a long, long time. Um, and the next person we're going to talk to you about is a French mathematician. Well, all of these people are kind of mathematicians, but they're not really mathematicians. Uh, but this guy became Pope, still all linked together. So this is Pope Sylvester II. Um, and his kind of ideas, though, um, actually did bring in and influence mathematicians across the centuries. So we spoke last time about um, our Arabic Hindu uh, number system, our numeral system. And this was the guy who actually brought it over to Europe. So he brought over that system. He was called uh, Gerbert d'Orléac, and then Pope Sylvester II when he was uh, elevated to be Pope. Um, he brought that system in and he introduced it to Europe. Now that's quite important because we could then start to do things with it. Um, he also brought over the abacus and reintroduced the abacus. So that had not been around since Roman times, but he re-brought back in the abacus as well. Um, another mathematician, though, who actually was around in that time and we have looked at before is uh, Leonardo uh, of Pisa. So if you want to listen back to the podcast with uh, Mr. Goodlad, um, have a listen back to that one uh, called uh, Leonardo of Pisa. Um, pizza, I think I called it. Um, so go and have a listen back to that one. Um, it really makes a difference. Um and the last bit that we're going to look at is uh, the symbols that were also introduced during this time. Now, we've looked at kind of numbers and we looked at, you know, symbols and the numeral system. But we use much more symbols than that in uh, maths. So we've already introduced algebra in the Islamic system. Uh, we've introduced numerals. But what other symbols do we actually use? Well, one of those is the plus symbol, the Subtract symbol, the minus symbol, uh, the multiply sign, uh, equals, and divide. Like, these things haven't been invented by this point. So, you know, we've only just introduced the numeral system. Uh, so these things hadn't been invented yet. So they were introduced in Latin, really, first of all. So up until this point, you would have to write out uh, add. You'd have to write out subtract. Um, so until... Uh, a German mathematician called Johannes Friedman introduced the plus and the minus symbol in 1489 in his work, uh, The Nimble and Neat Calculation in All Trades. Yeah, so it's all a trade thing. And so up until this point, they used to just use P and M to represent plus and minus um, because plus meant more in Latin and minus meant less. Um, and that's where the two words come from. Um, and then we get the equal sign. So you get the plus and the minus, and then we get the equal sign. And it's actually a Welsh invention. So a Welsh physician uh, called Robert Ricorde, um, in his book, The Whetstone of Wit, um, in 1557. Um, why it's called that, I have absolutely no idea. But he used this symbol to avoid the tedious repetition of these words. Um, so he used the equal symbol. And so it comes from Wales. Who knew? And then the multiplication symbol came next. 
Um, uh, that's an English invention. So uh, William Autored's book, The Key to Mathematics, in 1631. So you'd think, yeah, no, we're starting to get somewhere now. Like, but we're still not that far. In, you know, we haven't got all the symbols yet, and we're already at 1631. Um, now, you'd think the next symbol would be divide, wouldn't you? Yeah, you you with me here? The next symbol must be divide. That's that's the obvious one to get to. No, you'd think wrong. Uh, so the next one was actually the infinity symbol. So um, it's called an Ouroboros. Okay, so it's like a sideways eight, if you want to look for it. Um, that was actually introduced next in 1665. Um, and the first one in England to be used, though, was a little bit later. Um so sorry, I've made a mistake. Divide did come next. I teased you, but uh, the next one um, was at a divide sign, um, and it's called an obelisk. And um, it was used in Switzerland first, and so in England yeah, it had actually come after the uh, infinity symbol, the obelisk. Um, and uh, this was invented in uh, 1659 um, in by Johann Rand's book, Tetra Algebra, um, and so. We started to now get all this influence that's come across from the Islamic system and we've started to make it our own. So we started to bring together kind of uh, all the symbols and it's maths is starting to look very different. So if you think back to when we're talking about Pythagoras, um, like it would have all been really longhand um, uh, letters that were um, representing numbers um, but actually had a value. Um, and suddenly we're now up to algebra, we're up to uh, symbols to represent plus and minus and multiply, divide and infinity. We've got fractions. Um, we're starting to build maths that would look something like we're used to and something that would look not dissimilar to what we have in textbooks now or calculations and things now. We're starting to get there. But we're only about 400 years ago. So... It's, you know, these things are actually relatively modern in terms of the history of maths. We've come a long, long way uh, up to 1660s and we've only just got to the division symbol, um, which says a lot about how fast maths suddenly makes those huge leaps and bounds in trying to understand what the, world's going, uh, what the world is happening and also what's going on. But we've understood a lot of maths without actually the symbols that we learn today but the symbols make it much much easier for us to learn about so where people are inventing stuff actually you know that's about as far as maths is at that point so as a student you wouldn't be able to get you, you know you're only getting to that far and you've got to take it a bit further and just as we do now today with mathematicians and so one of the things that kind of moves us on is our education and how education has formed and the education of maths is uh, transformed throughout uh, history is really important. So we've looked at it and every step of the way, maths has been a fundamental thing that people have learnt. So it's not that it's suddenly been a modern thing that you have to study maths to a certain age, but actually all the way through, maths has been one of the key things in a culture for people to learn so in our chinese systems in our uh, hindu systems in our greek mathematicians in our roman mathematicians like maths has been really important i mean it's been something to die over like our uh, poor horatia earlier on in the uh, stories uh, you know it's something that's really really important and it's been a fundamental part of 
kind of how people have learnt for centuries. And so one of those ways is the first kind of ways that degrees were given out. So um, Alincian, if we go back to Alincian of York, um, he was one of the first people who introduced a kind of a way of learning. And he um, took with a way of learning from York to over to uh, France uh, into uh, the court of Charlemagne. And this gave ways to two different kind of qualifications. Um, and this is where qualifications really started um, to understand. And so there was the trivium and the quadrivium. So you'd learn the trivium and then you'd learn your quadrivium. Now the trivium uh, consisted of three parts, hence tri, um, and it was logic, grammar and rhetoric. So you'd use logic uh, to organise your thinking, grammar to express your thoughts without confusion, and rhetoric was the way of persuading people of your thoughts. And once you've got good at this, um, this is the equivalent of like an undergraduate degree, then you'd start working towards your quadrivium. And your quadrivium was four, obviously, quad. Um, so, and it was geometry, arithmetic, astronomy, music. And so only once you'd learnt kind of your logic, you could then start to do it. And you'd have to be able to master all of these four things. Um, so it's, can you see that maths is a really important part of it? So the logic kind of leads to geometry and arithmetic and astronomy. And actually it's fundamental that it builds on that. And once you've done that, then you could go on to your doctorate, your doctorate of philosophy or doctor of theology. Um, but it, maths has been a fundamental part of people's education for thousands of years. Um, and it's been really important. And that's why maths is still important to this day, that maths as an education system, um, we should not ever lose sight of that, that actually, I know you all think, oh, why should I have to learn maths? Actually, it's been this way for millennia why because it's so fundamental in how you think and how we can start to think about the world and how we can develop kind of our ideas and thoughts uh, for a culture and a civilization so i hope you found that yeah, informative today and um, i hope you're enjoying uh, everything that's going on all right i think it's stopped raining now so i'm actually going to go out for my walk and uh try and get out of the house um before I go absolutely start crazy. So enjoy your bit of exercise today, whatever you get up to, whether it's going for a run or going for a bike ride or going for a walk or just, you know, lounging around in your pyjamas. I have to say, don't do that. That's not a good look. Um, I have been getting up and getting dressed every single day. One good thing. Um, but enjoy yourselves and uh, I'll catch up with you soon. Goodbye.